You're listening to the Canadian Investor Protection Fund podcast channel. Here we connect with industry leaders and experts in the financial sector. Hello, and welcome to the CIPF podcast series focused on innovation. I'm Ilana Singer, Vice President and Corporate Secretary at the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, or CIPF. I am so pleased to be your host today. Our topic is the evolution of fintech and the way forward. I am here today with Frank Barillero, the Managing Director at the Everton Carlyle Group. In this role, Frank provides insights and expertise in the areas of capital markets, technology, market surveillance, and the regulatory landscape more broadly. Frank is also a senior director at National Bank Financial in Montreal, Quebec, and has been an active member of the crypto asset working group created by IROC, the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. He is certified in the areas of artificial intelligence, or AI, and blockchain. Frank was also a distinguished speaker at the CIPF 50th Anniversary Forum several years ago. Frank, welcome. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you, Ilana, for the nice introduction. It's a pleasure for me to be with you here today. So turning now to the matter at hand, our topic for today's podcast is the evolution of fintech and the way forward. We will be focusing our discussion on financial technology, or fintech for short. We'll discuss how fintech innovations are being embraced by firms in the financial services industry and how regulators are adapting to them. Finally, Frank will share his thoughts about future trends in the area as they unfold over the next several years. First, why don't we start with a foundational question? Frank, please explain the term fintech to our listeners. Certainly, Lana. So fintech stands for financial technology. And this refers to new technology competing with traditional methods of delivering financial services. So think of uh, digital banks, for instance. And when you think of fintech firms, it's not just startups. You have both startups and established financial institutions and also some tech providers. And the, their goal is to try to replace or enhance the current offerings. And the reason why they exist is because there's been a lot of technological breakthroughs throughout the years. And if you think about it, think about it in, in, as the first four letters of the alphabet, A, B, C, D. The four areas that are predominant in fintech are A for artificial intelligence, B for blockchain, C for cloud computing, and D for big data. So those are uh, breakthroughs that enabled new entrants into the fintech space and existing financial institutions and technology providers to utilize uh, this new technology. And one of the areas that should not be underestimated is cloud computing. The event of cloud computing has given access to technology to new entrants where otherwise this technology would have been kept only for very, very large institutions. 
So those are really the areas that, um, that FinTech focuses on the ABCD of new technology. Thank you, Frank. I'm sure that our listeners found your description and examples very helpful. I certainly did. I think I won't forget now the ABCDs of FinTech. So thank you for that. Now, turning to how these technologies, such as the A and the B, AI and blockchain, how are those being used by firms in the financial services industry? From your perspective, are clients' day-to-day -day activities and decisions being impacted by how the industry has been implementing these technologies? Sure, so let's start with blockchain technology. Okay, let's break it down and think of blockchain technology as a systemic type of innovation, okay? So for example, in Canada, we have a financial ecosystem that is quite complex. We have the Bank of Canada, we have Payments Canada, we have marketplaces such as exchanges, we have broker-dealers, financial institutions, we have technology providers, we have regulators. All of these moving parts are part of our ecosystem. Uh, it, within the ecosystem, there are payments that are being made, there are transfers, transfers of ownership, changes in ownership, um, and this entire ecosystem requires trust. And that's where blockchain comes into play. It has some native functionalities that systemically enable that trust. So let me give you an example. Let's say you would like to buy my cell phone. It's a quite simple transaction if we're sitting next to one another. I can give you my cell phone, you can inspect the phone, you can take a look at it, and we can then negotiate a price that we both agree on, and then it's a simple transfer. I give you my cell phone, you give me your payment, and the transaction is completed. However, what if we're not sitting next to one another? Say we're miles apart. You won't want to send me your money unless I send you my phone, and I won't send you my phone unless I have your money first. So that's where clearing houses come into play. There'll, there'll be an intermediary that's gonna guarantee the transaction. They're gonna assure you that you're getting the actual phone that you should be getting, and they're gonna assure me I'm gonna be getting payment for that phone. And the, the thing is that they don't do it for free. They charge a fee, and they also take on collateral. So there's slippage in the efficiency, but it's necessary you must have that trust. So those intermediaries like clearinghouses and depository, that's the role they play in the ecosystem. Same thing if we send money abroad. We don't actually take money, put it in an envelope, and then sit it on a plane, and then it gets to your family member abroad. It's really a series of uh, entries into different ledgers from different financial institutions that takes place and each financial institution guarantees the payment to the other financial institutions because they have access to a ledger then they can see that the funds are there and are available so all of this is a lot of slippage or there's a lot of inefficiencies because there's so many intermediaries at play so the 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 blockchain has native technology functionalities that make these uh, transactions simultaneous. So if we go back to my example of selling you my telephone, it's done on a blockchain simultaneously. 
So that doesn't require a third party guaranteeing the transaction to take place. So it's really through the use of something called smart contracts that blockchain technology uh, gets utilized to the maximum of its capacity. So smart contracts are essentially something we see in the swap world. So a swap is essentially one counterparty um, buying a variable rate in return to a, for a fixed rate, for example. And the way it's done right now, it's technically via a contract, a NISTA agreement, uh, and the contract requires each party to make sure that the obligations are met, that their obligations are undertaken and the counterparty's obligations are met as well. So it's very manual, it's very cumbersome, and there could be some errors. So with blockchain technology, you have the opportunity to create these smart contracts, which would replace these ISTA agreements and therefore uh, make the exchange of cash flows simultaneously without any slippage. So when you think of something like blockchain, um, I think you should think of like something that is a systemic innovation. And so for the consumer, they won't see the difference. The only difference they may see is that in the long run, it would be lowering costs because there's less intermediaries. And because the, um, the blockchain technology also has embedded features in terms of security, um, therefore the information flowing through various intermediaries may be intercepted, whereas on a blockchain, you reduce that risk enormously because it's got embedded cryptographic security within uh, its, uh, its system. And in traditional finance, you, we know that trying to get a clean audit trail is very, very difficult uh, because of so many systems and moving parts and intermediary. When you're utilizing a blockchain, you see from onset what has been done because it's transparent, it creates transparency, Every transaction is tracked and recorded simultaneously, and these recordings are immutable. They cannot be changed. So for example, if one day we have a digitized Canadian dollar and it's on a blockchain, you know, we won't need to hire accountants anymore to pay for income taxes because it'll be done simultaneously directly on the blockchain. You'll be able to see what revenue each person is generating and also where their tax money is going. It's the transparency uh, and the security that makes it also more difficult for malicious actors uh, to commit fraud. So that's for the blockchain piece. The second part of your question was surrounding artificial intelligence and, and more specifically what brokers and, and the financial institution are, are, are using is machine learning. Um, and that's basically learning from behaviors and patterns in order to predict future behavior. So if I give you an example, I'm a big music fan and I love Spotify. So Spotify uses machine learning to kind of try to anticipate your tastes in music. So imagine if they didn't use machine learning. All you would do is look for music that you already know. Whereas because they're use, using machine learning, they're able to kind of look at your playlists and look at people with similar playlists and look at what they listen to in addition to the things that you have in common. And then they're able to make suggestions 
in that direction. So it's a, it's an, a wonderful way for you to discover a bunch of new music that you otherwise would never have fell on. So that's a simple and easy example of how machine learning is used and it's used every day by many, many institutions. So in the financial industry, why it's being used more and more now is because there's much more data available. So the availability of data is what greatly enhances the business case for machine learning. And what, because of all of these data sets, institutions are able to proactively monitor customer behavior. So they will know, for example, uh, depending of where you are in your life, if you may need a mortgage soon, if you're on the verge of retirement, and based on those data points, they can offer you services really tailored uh, to your needs. Another way that, that institutions uh, use machine learning is to identify anomalies. And they're able to do that in, in real time in order to reduce fraud or uh, malicious actors from acting. And also it, re it, can, it can learn to reduce false positive. So it's in, in machine learning, you have this continuous cycle of learn, test, and refine. And that's what makes the, the, the system better and better and better. One of the um, best examples that's been given on how the machine can learn is, uh, for example, if you take a, a, a quite simple video game called Space Invaders. It's a video game where the objective of the game is to stay alive. Stay alive and shoot down as many Space Invaders as possible. And so if you take a human it will take a human probably hours, if not months, and maybe even years before they become extremely proficient at this game. So what they've done is uh, they've experimented with machine learning in order to program a computer to play the game. And basically overnight, the machine was able to never, ever, ever lose at this game again. So it was able to stay alive and shoot a maximum amount of space invaders in an eight hour period. That's all it took, eight hours and the machine was optimal. It would be able to play forever. It recognized the pattern, it understood what it needed to do and, and basically learned from it. So there's no chance that a human can do it as fast as a machine. So that is, the, uh, is why these two technologies, in particular blockchain and machine learning, are probably two of the most powerful technologies out there right now. Thank you, Frank, for your detailed answer. Your description of the systemic innovations in terms of blockchain and machine learning really resonated with me. I am sure that your examples from the music industry and from video games like Space Invaders certainly resonated with our listeners. It is remarkable how far FinTech has progressed over the last few years. Now shifting gears, let's explore this topic from a regulatory perspective. Frank, how do you see regulators adapting to these innovations? How have you observed their use of technology in the supervision, oversight, and regulation of firms? That's a very interesting question, Ilana. So technology is evolving at incredible speeds, and it's very difficult to keep up. It's very difficult to also run after every new technology that comes up. So it becomes a challenge. I would say that there's a subset of technology providers called RegTech for regulatory technology. And they're adapting their uh, solutions 
for either regulators or compliance departments at uh, financial institutions. So they specialize in using the same kind of technology, whether it's uh, cloud computing or machine learning, in order to create solutions that, are, uh, that respond to the needs of regulations and, and compliance. I would say that the most important element for regulators is to make sure that the market integrity is maintained. Markets must remain fair. Consumers must trust that the game is fair. And so I would think that access to data becomes key. If we take uh, right now in, in Canada, for instance, we have transparent markets. Uh, for example, the markets that are on transactions that take place on a marketplace versus bilateral markets or OTC markets where that information is not as accessible. I think that if I look at our counterparts in the US, also in Canada, the regulators are trying to make those markets as accessible as possible, meaning as transparent as possible. And I think that's gonna be a key, a key challenge because there's a lot of data uh, that is very opaque right now is to take that data and making a database out of it so that you can make it speak. So that is the number one challenge I see is really getting the right data. It all starts with data. The second thing I think is that uh, the idea of cross asset monitoring is going to become more and more the norm. So what I see is that in the past you had regulations by asset class. And when we look at the activities that take place in a financial institution, um, it's not the way it works. Really, you have different desks and different business uses that use more than just one asset class. And so you have to make the connections between all of the different asset classes. So the cross-asset monitoring is really the, way, the only way to go if you don't want to have a huge number of false positives and if you want to see if there's any potential breaches, I think that there's no other way than to look at the market uh, from a cross-asset uh, perspective. And, and finally, the, the last piece, I think, is to create out of, the, you know, it all comes down to data. Regulators have the ability to go and get as much data as possible um, to create these data lakes um, that contain both structured and unstructured data and then utilize machine learning to make that data speak. So for example, um, you know, when we talk about structured data, you have all of the data sets that we're used to, something, think of an Excel spreadsheet. When you think of unstructured data, then you're looking at voice, video, email, data that can come in so many different forms and formats. The technology is now very proficient in connecting the dots between structured and unstructured data. So I think that where there's some gains to be had is in creating a data lake that contains those types of data and then implementing machine learning uh, on it. Frank, thank you for sharing these helpful observations with our listeners. It is key, based on your observations, that regulators focus on increasing accessibility and transparency in markets. And it sounds like these innovations can really help in that regard. Now, when people think about FinTech, they often turn their minds first to crypto assets. Crypto assets have been featured front and center in the headlines over the past several years. Regulators in Canada, like many of their international counterparts, have been turning their attention to regulating and supervising crypto asset trading platforms. 
How do you see crypto assets evolving in Canada and globally, particularly as regulators are becoming more involved in the regulation and supervision of the sector? So let me start by saying that, that first of all, in my opinion, an unregulated crypto asset market would be basically like buying medication from uh, someone's trunk of a car. Um, it's not advised. When you buy medicine, you require a prescription from a doctor. The doctor has to be uh, certified, has to have gone through a bunch of proficiency, has to have has to be on the board of uh, a, med a medical board, um, and so we require a certain amount of governance surrounding the buying of medication and then you get it from a pharmacy and not just any person it's the same thing in financial markets so i would say that you know an unregulated crypto asset market is really really not advised so it makes perfect sense that it be regulated that doesn't mean that it's not uh, there's no challenge in that so it's it's difficult because crypto assets markets usually go beyond the borders of a, of a nation so if the market is international there, there is no there is no nation so it's it becomes very difficult and i think at at the minimum regulators what regulators can do is to regulate what's within their borders uh, when you compare it to let's say uh, buying stock on an exchange um, before a company can be listed on an exchange there's a bunch of due diligence that is done by the marketplace, by the exchange itself, uh, by the regulators, and there's a bunch of proficiency requirements before a stock can be listed on exchange. And once it's listed on exchange, there's also a lot of obligations. Um, you know, having external auditors look at your financial numbers and so on and so forth. Uh, so there's a lot of due diligence that goes into place. My concern is with crypto assets, pretty much right now at this point, anybody that knows anything about blockchain can create their own digital asset. Um, so I think that again, regulation is ex extremely important here. Um, and, and for example, here in Canada, the regulators did not allow for the listing of binary options. We've banned binary options simply because we think it is not in the best interest of the public. So I think that there's no question that you know the, the crypto asset market will exist and should be regulated. And eventually, uh, you know, when you think of crypto assets, it's not just a currency uh, like a Bitcoin, uh, but also a digitized form of stock. So rather than have a stock, um, you know, on a database the stock will be listed as a crypto asset on a blockchain. So I, again, for the consumer, um, this doesn't make any difference for the consumer. So think of it like having a car and the car can have many different types of engines. You can have an electric engine, you can have a gas engine, you can have a steam engine, uh, hydro carbon engine. So what the consumer knows is that when they press on a pedal, the car advances. The mechanisms behind that is irrelevant for the uh, for the consumer. So the crypto asset market is based on blockchain, which is the technology that underlies the crypto asset. For the consumer, it should be completely transparent, no, no difference. So what that does though, is it, it allows again for a lot of uh, transparency and regulators will be able to 
verify things in, in, in an incredible way. So the data will be there, the data will be, the audit trail will be there in an immutable way. So I think for a regulatory perspective, it is an absolute must. And I think it's going to be where all assets will eventually wind up on. Frank, your observations has given me and I'm sure our listeners a lot to think about, particularly from a regulatory perspective. I will say that at CIPF, we have been examining the area of crypto assets as well, particularly in the context of CIPF coverage. As our listeners may know, CIPF returns missing client property when a member firm becomes insolvent. When we are making a determination about whether or not a loss is eligible for coverage, we examine three key points. First, is the individual an eligible customer? For example, not a director of the firm or an individual who contributed to the firm's insolvency. Second, did he or she have an eligible account? That is, one that's used for the trading in securities or commodity and futures contracts. And finally, are there eligible assets within the account, such as securities or cash? At this time, crypto assets are not considered eligible assets and would therefore not be eligible for CIPF coverage. This has been communicated and discussed with regulators and firms. We at CIPF are continuing to monitor developments in the crypto asset space, and we've continued to be engaged in discussions with regulators, as well as with current and prospective member firms. We really are trying to stay up to date, for example, through this podcast with you, Frank, an expert in the area, trying to stay up to date on current developments in the fintech area more generally, and specifically with respect to crypto assets. So now, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our discussion, and we're going to be wrapping it up. I know that our listeners would be very interested in looking into the future. How do you see fintechs evolving in the Canadian and global financial markets? What potential do you see? So I think that there's great potential for fintechs in, in the Canadian market. Um, and the reason I say that is because there's uh, the, the fintech startups represent the largest portion of venture capital investments. So that is a great indicator of the confidence by investors that the fintechs are addressing pain points that are real. The second thing is I, I think that blockchain will evolve. So, you know, it's a relatively recent innovation. And basically you had a handful of people that really understood the mechanics behind it and the technology behind it and the programming behind it. I think that soon you will have it part of, you know, the curriculum in universities. And I think we'll be moving away from having uh, applications, blockchain applications, and rather have blockchain platforms, um, a, a little bit like we have on our phones where the invention of platforms for, for telephones has made the phone smart. Before that, all we could do is call and get messages. Now we can actually use our phone for many, many different things. So I think that the same will happen on the blockchain front. Perhaps the bigger players like the Googles, the Microsofts, the, uh, the AWSs, the Amazons, maybe they'll be at the forefront, but think of blockchain as becoming more and more of a, of a systemic innovation and more and more of a platform. 
We talked earlier about uh, the ABCD of technology innovation. So, you know, with artificial intelligence, blockchain, cloud computing, and big data, I would add two important uh, innovation as well that are coming in the pipeline, and that's quantum computing. And probably the most important one is to have a Canadian digital dollar. I would say that we're maybe seven to 10 years away from having, uh, from having that. And once you have that, now you can completely uh, change the ecosystem and the way it works. Uh, the ecosystem can now be on entirely on a blockchain, including the payment piece. Um, and, you know, I think that it's necessary for all nations to have their own digital dollar because it's attached to monetary policy. Uh, so the idea of having a Bitcoin uh, become a global uh, currency, I think that that doesn't hold any water in, in economics. So I think that once this perfect storm occurs, uh, where you have this innovation combined with, you know, the, the availability of data, the Internet of Things combined with a digital Canadian dollar, I think that you completely upend the Canadian financial ecosystem. What that can cause is a quite important socioeconomic impact. And so you can't just rip and replace it because there's so many intermediaries. Uh, you have, you know, from banks to broker dealers to all of the different intermediaries who on their end, they're fighting to remain relevant. So I think that you can't just rip and replace. You need to transition uh, into a, a new state um, because of the socioeconomic impact that it can have. A little bit like we're doing with oil right now. So those are my thoughts uh, uh, in a nutshell uh, in the time we have. But uh, I think that there's going to be more and more and more innovation as, as we go by. So uh, stay tuned for, for more information on that. Well, Frank, it sounds like we'll have to do a sequel to this podcast, given the additional innovations that will be taking place in the not too distant future. And I must say that it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. It has been thought provoking, informative and interesting. And I wanted to thank you again for taking the time and joining me on this podcast. It really has been a pleasure. Now, three key takeaways that I've drawn from our discussion today are, I would say first, the ABCDs of FinTech. As I said earlier, I will not forget this. AI, blockchain, cloud computing, and big data. And then you supplemented that with two other important innovations, quantum computing and the introduction of a Canadian digital dollar. The second key takeaway that I observed today was about the advent of the two key systemic innovations, blockchain and machine learning, and how those are transforming the way that the financial services sector is applying innovation within the sector. And finally, from a regulatory perspective, regulators and regulation will be very important in the coming years and particularly, as you noted, in the crypto asset sector. As well, market integrity is key, must be maintained, and markets must remain fair in the face of all of these various and fast-moving innovations. And that concludes today's podcast. 
I would like to thank our listeners for their attention. I hope that you found this discussion as informative and thought-provoking as I have. We always welcome your comments. The best way to reach us is through our website. Finally, we invite you to listen to CIPF's other podcasts available on our website and podcast channels, or feel free to read the transcripts, which are available in both English and French on our website. I'm Ilana Singer. Thank you again for joining us and goodbye for now. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all CIPF podcasts. More information about the speakers and what we discussed today can be found in the show notes. Please note that this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute advice of any kind. Thank you for listening.